Hello, friends. Thank you for listening to the Antelope Island State Park podcast. My name is Trish, and I am the park naturalist, Antelope Island. So the first thing I want to do today is to get some maybe overdue housekeeping out of the way. I and we at the park have been getting a lot, lot, lot of feedback from folks who are frustrated because they feel like they weren't warned about the biting gnat situation on the park. Um, Short of renting an airplane to fly over the city with a banner alerting the masses that the gnats at the island are real, I'm just not sure what more I can do to get the word out. Maybe you can send me an email with maybe some more avenues that we can use to let people know. But the gnats are bad. I am not playing around. <laughs> if you want to come to the island in you know late spring, early summer, April through June, you will want to have a head net available. You may not need it. If you come on a day that may be cooler or windy or raining, um, you may be off the hook. But have it in your back pocket just in case. That said, it's still such an amazing place in the spring, so I, I don't want to scare you off. That's the opposite of my job. I want you to still come and, and enjoy the park. It's magic out here. Um, even this time of year when the gnats are out, we've got uh, new migratory birds arriving every day. Bison calves are just all over the place. Um, great horned owls have nestlings right now. It's, it's really great, but I want you to be prepared um, for the gnats. So come knowing that Antelope Island is a wild place with wild things and when we say that the gnats are bad it's not like meh you know they're pesky bugs it's nature it's it's (laughs) it's ruin your experience if you're not prepared bad. So I do update the website every day uh, with park conditions. Now I say every day every day that I'm working I don't log in and update it on my weekends but every day that I'm there I update the park conditions and that includes the bugs uh, so that you can check there to plan your visit before you come. Uh, I also uh, do frequent updates on social media so you can look there. There are signs at our entrance station warning folks to be prepared as they're coming in. That should catch everybody. If you call us on the phone, we'll tell you the conditions at that very moment. I, I, I can't afford with my budget uh, an airplane. so. Please take my word for it. Plan to bring a head net or just enjoy the park from your car through June. Still come out, um, but be prepared. If you can't find a head net in town, um, they're usually sold at sporting goods stores like Cabela's or a Sportsman's Warehouse. But if you can't find one in town, we've we've got you. Uh, you can pick up one at our uh, visitor center gift shop for just around $5. It's going to be the best $5 you'll ever spend if you do want to go uh, for a hike or something this time of year. Once temperatures do increase and they go away, I will shout from the rooftops. We'll all celebrate um, and I'll let you know that the coast is clear. So um, check our website, of course, and social media pages for that announcement. Usually late June or early July is when we get the relief. So in the meantime, please stop beating us up. We don't like them either. And we're doing the best that we can to inform people so they're not taken off guard. Okay, with that out of the way, back to regularly scheduled programming. We just wrapped up the Great Salt Lake Bird Festival in May. And this year's spotlight bird is the Wilson's Phalarope. Uh, I've always enjoyed watching the Phalaropes because they're, they're just 
such neat birds. They come in in the hundreds of thousands. Uh, they're so fun to watch. They're, they're smaller than a lot of the other uh, shorebirds that we see, and, and they're just really fun. I especially like their feeding technique, which I'll talk about at length in a minute. So I've always really enjoyed them. But being involved in this festival this year gave me the opportunity to learn a lot more about these little cuties. And now you get two, too. So Wilson's phalaropes are commonly seen feeding along the causeway. 30% of the world's population of Wilson's phalaropes stop at Great Salt Lake to refuel during their migration. At one point, researchers counted over 600,000 Wilson phalaropes at one time on the lake. So their numbers really are impressive. They winter to the south of us in lakes in the Andes Mountains of South America and then fly north to kind of the western edge of North America for salty lakes like ours. So look for small, when you're out here, look for smaller shorebirds as I mentioned. They're only about nine inches long, about the size of a robin. They are gray in color, darker on the top and lighter in the breast. And the females have a really vibrant reddish, uh, rusty color on their neck. And males do too, but females really are more vibrant. Uh, typically in nature, the males of a species will be more colorful than the female. And it's the opposite with the Wilson's phalaropes. They are similar in size, uh, the males and females, but the females are going to be more colorful. They have long legs, they have slender necks, and very thin, longer beaks that help them snatch flies and brine shrimp from the lake. Birders may correct me on this, but in my observations uh, at Great Salt Lake, I haven't noticed them forming those real dense rafts like many of the other shorebirds or waterfowl do. Even though they're extremely prevalent, they tend to be more dispersed when out floating in the water. And this may of course be different outside of migration, I don't know. I hope sometime in my lifetime I can uh, head south into the Andes Mountains and, and take a look for myself, but that's my observation just from Great Salt Lake. So another really unique and fun thing about the Wilson's phalaropes is that the males will take care of the eggs once they're laid. The eggs and the chicks once they hatch. The females will build a nest, and by build a nest, I, what I really mean is they just might scratch at the ground a little bit to find, you know, an area where they can drop their eggs right on the ground. Uh, but they will lay exactly four eggs and then just bail. They'll just <laughs> abandon their nest and their mate in search of another mate. So while the males are tending the eggs and the chicks, the females will lay up to four clutches of eggs per season uh, with different mates. So it's a really interesting polyamorous situation with the Wilson's phalarope, something that we don't often see with birds. Along with many other bird species, they do nest on the ground. So be extra cautious when you're exploring and um, do stay on roads and trails so that you don't inadvertently uh, interrupt and disturb one of these nests. Okay, my favorite part, let's talk about that feeding behavior because it's really fun. Wilson's phalaropes are shorebirds, but they can often be found in deeper water also while feeding. Their diet is mainly aquatic invertebrates like our brine shrimp. So what they'll do 
is they'll go out into deeper water and they'll spin around and around in circles to create little whirlpools beneath them. And that will pull in their prey like a vacuum so that they can snatch them up easily with that long, thin beak. They'll also feed closer to shore. Uh, they'll snatch up those flies from the mud flats, and we have plenty of those brine flies, right? They're, they're well fed out here. <laughs> Wilson's phalaropes can easily double their weight during their stay at Great Salt Lake, just fattening up before their long and often non-stop migration back to South America before fall. You can help the Wilson's phalaropes and many, many other migratory bird species by darkening the sky during migration. Um, we should do our part to darken the sky anyway, right? But it's extra important for birds during migration. Bright and misdirected lights will confuse birds and can make an already very strenuous journey deadly. Light pollution can lead to exhaustion when birds fly into city sky glow instead of using natural light from the moon and the stars that they use to navigate. So make sure you're only using lights when, where, and only as bright as you need them. Dark skies does not mean dark ground. Uh, do use light for safety, but make sure that it is uh, pointed toward the ground, pointed toward where you need it, and only as bright as you need it. Okay, thanks again for listening to the Antelope Island State Park Podcast. If you like what you hear, tell a friend so they can listen too. If you don't like what you hear, send me an email and tell me what you want to hear more of. Reach me directly at tackley at utah.gov. The park is open every day from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. Visit our website for park conditions and information on upcoming events. That is antelopeisland.utah.gov. You can find us on social media on Facebook at Antelope Island SP, on Instagram at Antelope Island State Park, on Twitter at Antelope SP. If you're within about a 50 mile radius of the park, you can find park information on the radio at AM 530. Thanks again for listening to the Antelope Island State Park podcast and a huge thanks to Carlos from Washington State for coming to the island for a visit and letting me know that he listens to the podcast. You made this Parky's Day. See you on the island.